You're listening to Simpler One Earth Living from Jubilee One Earth Economics and Simple Living Works with co-hosts Lee Van Ham and Jerry Iverson. If you are looking for powerful allies in the continuing urgent work of reversing the climate crisis, and who isn't, you will find one great ally in this podcast episode. Let's call her Tree, a great ally in pulling CO2 out of the air, in cooling where we live, in saving energy, in giving you healthy food, and that's just some of what she does. You don't need to pay lots of money to enlist Tree's help either. Maybe none at all. Stay with us for more on this do-it-yourself way to help save life on our planet. Greetings, Lee, from Paso Robles, California, and Simple Living Works. Greetings to you, Jerry, from San Diego and Jubilee One Earth Economics. Well, I'm sure uh, uh, you and all of our listeners have noticed it's April, the month that brings us Earth Day on the 23rd and Arbor Day on the 30th. Now, if these days spur you to think, oh, I want to do something in line with what these days emphasize, but but what can I do? <clears throat> that question gets us tuned in and ready for the down-to-earth answers Robin Revay, a San Diego region arborist, gives in the conversation you're about to hear. Just to keep our conversation with Robin in perspective, Listen for how it contrasts sharply with the news recently that billionaires Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, and Elon Musk have committed to working on reversing climate change through grand technological and market-driven fixes. We do well to be wary of such promises. Markets have a history of being exploitative, and technology's history has extracted enormous amounts of resources from nature. They've gotten us to the climate mess we're in. Gates, Bezos, and Musk have all acquired extreme and excessive wealth from markets and technology, but they've taken nature's wealth, commonwealth that belongs to all of us, to do so. No doubt there's more money to be made from our planet's climate crisis, but for the common good? The history of the Industrial Age gives little support to the thinking of these high-profile billionaires. And the conversation with Robin Revay in this cop, uh, uh, podcast episode takes us in a refreshing, different direction. What I like, Lee, is that the content Robin gives us helps us know we, you and I, and our organizations and congregations can do something to reverse the multiple client disasters by addressing the annual net loss of trees on our planet. If our banks lost that much wealth year after year, we'd be deeply concerned. Let's see if we can match that level of concern when we learn of the tremendous loss of environmental wealth, or natural capital as it's also called, in the annual net loss of trees. Robin will tell us more about the wealth and treasure in our trees, a kind of wealth our systems and our eyes have not been trained to see. So do listen today. You'll learn a lot, and we can all commit to do something really meaningful as we gratefully celebrate Earth Day and Arbor Day. And please, listeners, promote this important conversation to others. Well, it's my pleasure here in, um, with Earth Day coming close and Arbor Day on the last day of April to be in conversation with Robin Revae, uh, 
You know, Robin, I just looked on the bio you have on the San Diego Horticultural Society and there, you know, it says you're a certified arborist, you're a consultant in horticultural matters, a master gardener, you work on commissions, programs and advisory boards in San Diego and La Mesa, uh, you have a large backyard orchard that you help tend. Uh, I think you said the other day when we were talking that there's something like 150 fruit trees there or something. And uh, then you author uh, a regular column in the San Diego Horticultural Society. Um, I don't know, is it a website, I guess it is, where it's, and that's called Trees, Please. Um, <clears throat> that has a nice uh, alliterative sound to it. So I say all of that in large measure to ask you this question, what, I mean, clearly this is a passion in you. So what are the impacts in your life? What are the influences in your life that uh, have brought you to this place of, of a great passion and such an important uh, kind of life story at this point? Well, that's a very interesting question, Lee. Um, I guess I came from a long line of very activist women. Um, my mother was an attorney um, who in her spare time was a gardener. Mm -hmm. And when she retired from law, she became uh, a full-time farmer and certified an organic farm in the state of New York for over a decade after she retired from law. And during her law career, she was a prominent environmental lawyer, one of the first in the state of New York. So um, I was very proud of both my parents who worked in sort of the political realm and the environmental realm, um, both for pay and as volunteers. So I suppose you could say that was my early influence. Um, and then college days were all over the place. I have a liberal arts degree, uh, but with an emphasis in geology and um, I couldn't find work out of college in that field. So I drifted into many things and um, eventually it led me into uh, landscape architecture. And I pursued a couple of years of plant class training and uh, architectural education. But I realized that I wasn't interested in buildings so much as what happens outside of buildings. And, uh, and then I went full force. I became a master gardener and have been for 25 years. Um, I was raised a Quaker and I think my Quaker roots also influenced my sense of uh, community and sort of trying to help my community in any way that I can and also build my community. And so I think I've seen uh, decline in green space and i think that's important for cities so it's a whole big bucket yeah interesting thanks for going through that kind of life trajectory there very briefly of course uh, uh, but uh, you just said something uh, right at the very end uh, my understanding is that even whether it's globally or rather locally even we have a net loss of trees every year uh, so either you can correct me in that or affirm it, whichever. But um, yeah, that and what are some of the challenges that we face? Um, wow, to reverse climate change, 
that you feel you can kind of do something about as an arborist, master gardener, uh, and all. Um, but what are what are these challenges that you're encountering with the passion that you have? Well, I think because I did work in public policy, um, one of the things I learned very quickly was that what should be, in my opinion, simple, the act of planting a tree mm. um, is really compounded by a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of false premises and a disconnect um, from people who no longer really work the land for a living, uh, don't understand that all plants start very small um, and most of them will grow from seeds. And so um, if you go to a city and you say you want a city tree, um, they're talking anywhere from several hundred to up to a thousand dollars or more to get a tree planted. And um, I felt that was too much and we need thousands of trees. Uh, and you're correct in that uh, estimates vary, but uh, canopy is being evaluated by satellite. And so there is LIDAR available to look down on and see how much is uh, covered by green space. And they can actually tell how tall and wide that green space is. So they can discern a tree from a shrub. And um, so there is evaluatory tools out there now that can look at what it looks like now. And there's records of what it looked like 10 years ago or 20 years ago. There's a decline, and there's a decline everywhere. Um, most major cities have pretty serious decline, and uh, certainly I'm in those measurements, but the communication with pretty much affirm that we're losing three or trees for every one we plant. Three. And of course, of course that means a net loss, a constant net loss. Even we're planting... So can we plant our way out of this? I feel like the only way we have a chance of planting our way out of this is by planting a whole lot more than what we're doing. And when it costs $1,000 a tree or even $500 to get a tree planted, we're not gonna get it done. So um, yeah, I feel very strongly in the sort of Johnny Appleseed method of, okay. of getting people to understand that you can, you can plant acorns and even if they don't all make it, if you plant several hundred, you're going to actually get quite a few trees succeed. You know, um, I, I, I think some of our listeners here may, may be starting to hear an invitation uh, <laughs> to, uh, to plant trees. I think you also want to talk, uh, I invite you to talk about based on our conversation a couple of days ago on um, saving trees. Uh, and the whole work of just, just my trees love us a lot if we think and think about it that way. Uh, they do such wonderful things for us. Uh, and and uh, you can enumerate those, I'm sure, off the tip of your tongue quicker than I can. And, and, and so we clearly, we clearly need that type of presence uh, in our lives and on our planet at a time when uh, climate change is just um, 
growing in the consciousness, growing in the awareness of people. Not nearly fast enough, maybe, or maybe it's maybe it's maybe this year will be a turnaround. I don't know, but um, what? Say something more about the value of trees. Uh, what you've learned about that? How 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 can we, as we hear you and Arbor say? that you know we we don't need to have 500 or a thousand dollars or or get the city to do it uh what's the invitation there for us in and in, in as ordinary uh people civilians who have a who have a have a a yearning to do something about this well i mean i think it's it's kind of twofold um i think one part of it is improving uh knowledge and motivation and, um, and certainly there are people that think that they can't make enough difference uh, or that the amount of carbon stored in one tree doesn't seem like it's a lot, it's not gonna make that much difference. Um, but cumulatively, there's more and more scientists that do say that's the case. Um, and I think bigger than that is the pushback in climates like ours, where water is, is uh, reason, reasonably costly. I mean, to me, it's still relatively cheap. And there have been calculations that say all we have to do is save something like 2% of our water and we'd have ample water to, for all of our needs if we, we just recycled it better. But, but that's a whole nother conversation. Um, but there are ecosystem values of trees that I think the average person isn't aware of. So not only do you get cooling shade from a tree that you can save on your heating costs or your cooling costs in your home by having your house uh, surrounded by trees, uh, but then you can also um, grow trees for food. So whether it's an avocado or a citrus or an apple a pomegranate, you know, those are trees that all grow well in our climate and almost every climate has some type of tree that will grow that is edible. Um, nut trees are particularly good at being large and dropping fruit for you. Uh, so, you know, those are just sort of the, the top tip of the iceberg benefits. And then there's stormwater mitigation. So if places where you have flooding, uh, tree roots um, are actually used not only for flood protection, um, like in wetlands, um, in the, the Netherlands, they use um, trees as primary water treatment because they can literally pull the toxins out of soil and water. And I'm not, I don't know all the biology to explain it, but basically um, somehow they're able to absorb and, and cleanse uh, even heavy metals, they can pull it into their systems and somehow store it there. Wonderful. Uh, so, so pollution control, energy savings, uh, water mitigation, not to mention the carbon sequestration and so storage. So those are four aspects right there of sustainability. And then if you add the edible factor, there's huge reasons to plant trees. Mm -hmm. And, and, and going, uh, Pulling back from planting for planting the new for a moment, mm -hmm. um, lots of trees are getting taken out, sometimes not for particularly good reasons. So I know that's a concern of yours, and it is of mine. I know Juanita and I, uh, she especially would just go into a, a little time of grief if we see a tree going down that we don't understand any reason for it. Uh, so there's there's the removal of trees, and then there's just the um, 
oh, I don't know, I, I would say inadequate tending of trees. In a sense, they're wild, but in a sense, something, some relationship there with them can do them some good mm -hmm. and do us some good. Yeah, I, I think that in this region, it's particularly, uh, there's lack of heritage and history in our region uh, because San Diego County, for instance, um, didn't start with a forest. You know, we, our natural uh, landscape was largely chaparral. We had some pines in the mountains and we had incidental trees in our riparian areas, but primarily where the city has evolved, um, never had a lot of trees. So, you know, there are conservationists who are very interested in going back to the way it was. And unfortunately, my answer to that is, when are you leaving? Um, because if we're going to go back to this pristine chaparral, we have to remove the people for it to be sustainable. Uh, so I'm a firm believer that we do need large trees and we need as many as possible to compensate for all the hardscape we've built for our civilizations. Mm -hmm. And every evidence that humankind is going to live in cities increasingly around the globe. And so we need to make our cities as green as possible as they pour more and more people into them. Um, and so, yes, and we can, we can do it by planting very small one gallon trees. They will grow very fast and they don't cost a lot of money and, and they can green up our, our urban areas in all parts of the country. Mm -hmm. um, but, but I think it's very important here uh, for people to be more aware. Uh, I know I grew up in New York State and, and I'd say in general people did really love trees. Mm -hmm. And I think in Southern California it is more challenging. People think they're messy, they, they bust up the sidewalk, they um, they drop litter on the ground, um, and, and there's not enough people that appreciate what they are doing for us, like helping us breathe. We'll return momentarily to our conversation. If you're not so sure you can plant or tend any trees, can you consider making a donation to One Earth Jubilee Tree Fund? In 2021, we will be getting trees in the ground in the San Diego region as well as two regions in Mexico. This fund also gives you a chance to compensate for the CO2, your travel and energy use, put into the air. The trees you fund will take it out of the air. Either by planting or donating, we encourage action. The crises underway on our planet require us to act differently, to act in cooperation with nature as our ally. We can donate by check, payable to Jubilee Economics Ministries, designated for the tree fund, or online at oneearthjubilee.com slash donations. Now we return to our conversation with Robin Mavey. At least in some sectors uh, of the country, probably the globe, uh, there really needs to be a real shift in consciousness among people about the value of trees. And I, I know I've, I've just been doing some reading in the last few years that talk about the root systems of trees and how they communicate with each other and, and, and their interconnectedness, even not just of the same species, but between species. Mm -hmm. and all that's going on down there. And I think, wow, 
this is truly an amazing example of interdependence, which human beings would do wise to replicate with all beings on the planet. Um, so I, I don't know if it's education around that kind of thing that can in, increase the love of trees. You, you, I mean, you've got, you're involved in education in various ways of uh, getting people on this. What, what do you think is most effective? Well, I, I suppose that's the reason I've gone through toward the edible route. Um, I, I think that the more you can have um, greenery that is not just beautiful and providing habitat for bird life or mammals or insects, um, if it also provides food for humans, then we're reducing the carbon load that comes from the aircraft that brings all our foods in from foreign countries, which we really rely on now in the United States. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there was a time when people understood that you ate food based on what season it is. And now if you want blueberries, it doesn't matter what season it is. You go to the store and you can buy blueberries and you can buy cashews or whatever, even if they don't grow in your climate. So um, I guess I got interested in that side of gardening first and, um, and then more and more into recognizing the value of trees and then putting the two together. Um, but I'm not exclusively a fruit grower. I have, a, I do have an orchard with, uh, at home we have, uh, not for sale, it's not commercial, um, just a home orchard, but probably about 150 fruit, fruit trees and shrubs and, <laughs> and uh, the NSP, what do you do all? And I'm like, it doesn't all ripen at once. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, and then it's relatively easy to make new trees from the pieces of your old ones. So you can take cuttings and you can graft new trees and you can grow seeds from the trees and make new trees. So um, that whole idea of propagating, um, and I think because I am an arborist um, and a, have a science background that it's natural for me to try to share that interest and mm -hmm. then get people to do it in a simpler way. Mm -hmm. Not mysterious. <laughs> yeah, it, it's not mysterious. It's it's very scientific, actually, uh, and and uh, and and to give it have the patience for it. And, and I think just you know it, it's interesting. We've just recently planted some poppies. Well, I should we we did, but Juanita primarily led the project, and um, with with a four and six year old grandchildren with four and six year old grandchildren. And so the, she led them in planting three poppies in each of two pots. And now of course they've come up and now they're blooming. And they just, you know, it's, it's so exciting. And, and, and they've taken great interest really in how these, how they can plant these things and then they, they grow and, and their mother and father have a, gardening and, and do gardening and that too uh seems to model good things for them but let's say this let's say i'm i'm living in a condo complex or an apartment complex and i don't have access to land or gardens i mean do you do you see a direction i can go if i'm in that situation yes i do um and i can say it both for the small scale or the big scale um you know whether you're talking about 
just getting a barrel from you borrow or you buy a small one from a, a big store and you get a you fill it with soil you can certainly grow vegetables in it um, and you can ask your landlord to just have enough room to put a two-foot barrel you can grow a lot of food in a two-foot barrel Mm. Um, but in terms of trees, um, I always, I always say to people, well, even if you don't own the land, you probably bank somewhere, you buy gas in your car somewhere, you may have a place of worship, you may have a school that's in your neighborhood, there may be a community center, so there's always a place that can be green, and so almost everyone knows somebody somewhere where there is some land. And whether it's a sidewalk that's untended, uh, a vacant lot, maybe you don't own, maybe your landlord will let you plant some trees. You know, sometimes people think because they rent that they don't have any um, liberty. But a lot of times landlords, maybe they don't know either. And so maybe they'd be grateful if you planted a tree, particularly if it was a fruit tree. Um, particularly if it was a low care tree, you plant a lemon tree around here, it doesn't take much to grow a lemon. Uh, quite frankly, it doesn't take too much to grow an avocado. Wow. Uh, so, you know, you can, you can do that. Um, but even in commercial spaces, um, I, I think that we could do a lot more with our commercial spaces. And so, um, and I do know people that who have who have been working at the other end of that, trying to convince their shopping center to green up better or to take more, take, you know, they spend a lot of time removing stuff, over pruning trees. Um, I don't know, that, that's a whole nother science there. But, but, it, but say just a little bit about that science. I mean, pruning and, and tending what you have is a, is a significant, uh, issue, I think, because uh, trees can get destroyed by, um, well, I know, I, I'm trying to learn how to prune properly an apple, a nectarine, and, and, and a, a persim uh, yeah, persimmon tree. Uh, and yeah. so I spend time online before I take the, the pliers out there to prune back. So, um, and basically, uh, I tell people don't. I mean, don't do it. There I go. I'm already making a mistake. <laughs> so, I mean, for the most part, this is what I remind people mm -hmm. is that trees were on the planet and quite successful mm. before humans ever evolved. Mm. And so they didn't need us to plant them, to prune them, to do anything. They managed to do it all on their own. And so I'm not saying that when you plant a tree, it doesn't need anything. But if you plant it young enough and small enough and properly, um, you know, there is a few things that you need to do when a tree is very small. Mm -hmm. So you might need to water it if you're not, if it, if it grew from seed, it might not even need water. Mm -hmm. Because if it started coming out of the ground as a seed, it probably was very happy right where it started and it may grow without any help from you at all. Wow. And if you plant it when it's only like in a one gallon size, um, it will acclimate fairly quickly. And so it will become uh, in effect drought tolerant um, much quicker than if you planted a 24 inch box tree, for instance, which I never recommend. Um, and as far as fruit trees, um, 
as humans, we've done all this artificial thing to make trees uh, cultivated. Mm -hmm. And so when we buy trees that are grafted, the graft is not at the cellular level, the same thing as a tree grown from seed. Um, so you're basically taking a branch and making it vertical again and attaching it to a new set of roots and telling it to become a tree. And it works pretty well. But in effect, that's a clone of the original tree. So it isn't as smart by being a clone. Mm. And, um, and so therefore, the branch is trying to now become the vertical part, what they call the meristem. And so it may need a little bit of training so it learns how to take care of itself. Mm. Um, and then there's some types of fruit trees that we want to make fruit better. So we want to encourage maybe either more fruit than the tree naturally would put on, mm. or in some cases we want it to have less fruit, but larger fruit. Mm. So uh, there are some pruning techniques that you can learn and probably should learn because one type of tree like an apple, for instance, has a different pruning need than a peach. Um, peaches are one of the few trees that really do need pruning. They grow so fast and so rapidly that you can almost take off 70% of the new growth every year. Mm. Um, but that's the exception. Um, with an apple tree after the first year or so, I wouldn't prune apples much. Uh, persimmons the same way. Um, so. It depends on how fast they grow. Some trees make spurs. So like an apple and a plum, they make spurs. And those will actually continue to set fruit on that same place year after year, in many cases for up to tears. Mm. Um, so you don't wanna cut that little piece off or you'll lose the place that makes the fruit. Now, I'm thinking of all of, uh, as I listen to all of this education, uh, free without paying my tuition. I'm just thinking that, um, so if someone says jeepers, I wish I knew uh, an arborist or someone that I could get in touch with to, to talk about what I'd like to do. How, what do you tell them to do? That's an interesting question. Um, if it's a, an ornamental tree, like an, an oak tree or an ash tree or an elm tree, um, the International Society of Arboriculture actually has a, uh, a self-licensing organization of which I'm a member. So uh, not only do I have to go through training and testing, but then to keep certified, I have to have so much education every couple of years and then basically pay to do all that and then stay certified from year to year. Um, and so anyone can go to their website mm -hmm. and then type in a zip code and find the certified arborists in their region okay. uh, for help. Um, now, that being said, um, the growing of fruit trees is a separate discipline. And it isn't necessarily something that all arborists understand or know. Okay. So in the case of getting help with your citrus tree... Mm -hmm. or your pecan tree, you probably would do better to call your, your county extension office 
um, where there are agricultural advisors who also have the resources to help homeowners and, and city residents with questions like that. And that's where the Master Gardeners came in because that was an organization that started in the, in the state of Washington because their extension service was overwhelmed with inquiries. Oh. And, and so the staff there decided that they really could use some volunteer help and they knew there were these wonderfully talented and knowledgeable gardeners in the community and so they thought if they trained them and they created a sort of a quasi-professional group that could, you know, maybe not do commercial work, but could advise residential customers that it would be very helpful. And it spread across the whole United States. So virtually every state in the country has a master gardener uh, organization through Cooperative Extension. Fascinating. Well, darn it, our time is, is gone here. Uh... But um, I, uh, I look forward to uh, more opportunities. Uh, it would be a, a treat if there are ways we can find to work together in One Earth Jubilee and, and uh, some of the things that you do. I think the other day I already said, well, there may be ways that, there may be moments where you have a project going and, and uh, you think cheapers, maybe those, those people in One Earth Jubilee could, could do a little bit of help here Maybe we can, so we hope you'll keep us in mind. And uh, there may be a couple of these websites that you just talked about that we really ought to put in our show notes. And so um, I'd like to do that. Any, do you, anything more that you would like to say in passing? Because we really have to uh, draw this to a conclusion here. Well, I would just like to encourage anybody who's listening to, to understand that planting trees doesn't require a lot of knowledge or education and that you know, sometimes all you need to do is just find a tree that you see in the community that you love and look underneath it and maybe you'll find a seed that could be planted or maybe you'll see a volunteer seedling that's already come up and you can dig it up. So those are two very simple ways of planting trees that don't cost money and don't, don't require anything more but just a little initiative. Great, great thing to end with. I think it, it, uh, it doesn't have to cost a lot of money. It doesn't have to take a lot of effort, but we can all contribute to the, I'm just going to be bold here and say the reversing of climate crises that we're in, that uh, we don't have to sit idly by and wonder if there's anything we can do. No. Robin, it's been a big treat. So thank you so much for your time. Well, I appreciate it, Lee, and I look forward to, to future discussions, absolutely. And I'm delighted to learn about your organization and, and help in any way I can in the future. You've been listening to Robin Revae and Lee Van Ham talking about reversing climate crises through informed tree actions. Have you listened to our recent episodes? In January, Grace Dernis on planning economic revitalization with poor people instead of for them. In February, economist Barry Shelley on economic assumptions and initiatives for change. In March, Mike Little on the power of money, making all our money accountable to our faith. Do listen. We're sh you're sure to pick up thoughts you'll value. We certainly did as we created these episodes. You can subscribe to this podcast under the name Simple Living Works at your favorite podcast service. Individual episodes are available at Jubilee's new website, oneearthjubilee.com, and also simplelivingworks.org, window number three. 
urge your friends to do the same. You're welcome to subscribe to Simple Living Works, various free publications. For our monthly e-news, send subscribe to simplelivingworks at yahoo.com. For our weekly email that provides brief daily Simple Living nudges, send nudge to the same address, simplelivingworks at yahoo.com. Please tell us your thoughts on these subjects in this episode. Leave a message on Jubilee One Earth Economics and Simple Living Works Facebook pages. Until next time, this is Jerry Iverson of Simple Living Works with co-host Lee Van Ham of Jubilee One Earth Economics, wishing you well as we strive together to bring simpler One Earth living into being Learn for the common live good. Simply so others can simply live. Learn to live simply so others can simply live. Learn to live simply so others can simply live. Learn to live simply so others can live. Do not conform to the world. Be certain that better's not more. Contentment will transform your need, awakening what God has in store. Mm -hmm. Learn to live simply so others can simply live. Learn to live simply so others can simply live. Learn to live simply so others can simply live. Learn to live simply so others can live.